Vasudevasutam devam Tansujanuramardanam Devaki paramarandam Krishnam vannev jagatguram Hi and welcome to Season 2 of Gita Girl. My name is Shirmila and the Gita Girl podcast is about how to live skillfully and be the best version of yourself by using the advice in the Bhagavad Gita. Jai Sri Krishna Shaila. Jai Sri Krishna Sharmila. How are you? Good, good. Happy to be back on another episode of Gita Girl. Absolutely. And this one is special because we have a special guest that's not related <laughs> to either one of us or not in a Gita class before. <laughs> it's particularly exciting because it's somebody who has a different perspective. And even though they have that different perspective, I think our listeners will see that there are a lot of parallels between a philosophy that she discusses and the Gita. As we know, the Gita is all about how do we improve our actions? How do we improve our karma? The Bhagavad Gita is full of advice about how to behave better. But I feel that one of the biggest challenges is our actions and our behavior with our families. They're the closest to us, yet they annoy us the most. (laughs) Raise your hand if you've never had a family issue. (laughs) Everyone will be sitting on their hands. Especially with this pandemic and the year where we have had so much family interaction and been at close quarters with our family, But even in general, how do we deal with the inevitable issues which come up with our families? We love them, so we want to know how to act better, but how do we do that? So the entire Bhagavad Gita actually started with this very issue. It was Arjun's big dilemma about how to handle his wayward family. And family issues, I think, are universal. So this episode is a deeper dive into family conflict. How do we think better, act better? and more efficiently and more peacefully resolve conflict in our family relationships, thereby creating better karma for ourselves. And I think a lot of the concepts that we've talked about in all of our podcasts so far, do your best, leave the rest, being one of them, it's a little bit easier to do when we are talking about coworkers or maybe even friends. In our Gita class, we bring this up all the time, that it's the most difficult to practice these concepts for the people who mean the most to you and who you want the best for. But there are ways to improve upon that relationship, as we'll hear about on this podcast, in a way that is sattvic, in a way that gives you good karma and preserving the relationship with the people closest to you. Exactly. So here we go. Jesse Krishna, Karen, welcome to Gita Girl. Oh, thank you so much. It is wonderful to be here with you today, Sharmila. It's my honor to have you here. I've learned so much from you and I'm so pleased that our listeners can hear your wisdom also. And Just to kind of give a background, you started your journey being a yoga teacher. And part of being a yoga teacher, I think, is learning about the Bhagavad Gita and also the Yoga Sutras, which is an incredible philosophy as well that continues on from the Bhagavad Gita. You are extremely knowledgeable in that. And you've helped me when I had to teach that to um, my summer camp. You were really instrumental in helping me planning such a great comprehensive curriculum for the students. And that was a few years ago now. I think that was like four years ago now. Yeah, probably. Time goes by so quickly. And now you are a family constellations practitioner. And I've done a few sessions with you. My husband, my kids, we've all done sessions with you. Tell us a little bit about what it's about. Sure. Family Constellations is a philosophy. It's a therapeutic process that breaks the cycle of inherited family trauma. We all know that we inherit our physical traits and characteristics from our parents and ancestors. And now the science even proves this. We also inherit behaviors, emotions, traumas from our parents and ancestors. And we're not even aware of it a lot of the times. So what this work does is break that cycle, we become aware of what we're carrying that might not be serving us in our lives, that's limiting us, and we can 
give back what's not ours to carry so that we can be empowered in our lives and free to follow our own unique way of being and not be as influenced by these unconscious forces and also tap in to the resources that are available to us from our ancestry. It's very powerful work. It has transformed my life and I love sharing it. I love sharing it with you, of course. We've experienced so much together with this work and and sharing it with the world. Well, I can vouch for this work that it has really resolved a lot of issues for me. And issues always come up with families, right? Families are tough to deal with, stuff comes up. And interestingly enough, Family Constellation says we inherit trauma from our ancestors, our parents, our grandparents. Yet the Bhagavad Gita, it's almost like a complementary viewpoint that the Bhagavad Gita says, because we have this trauma in us, is why we choose the parents we do through our karma and choose the ancestors we do in order for that trauma to be resolved by being the child of that parent. So it's kind of a complementary viewpoint. Family Constellation says you inherit trauma, whereas the Bhagavad Gita in chapter 15, verses 8 and 9 says that because you have already this trauma in whatever your past life experiences are, Mm -hmm. that you choose your body and your circumstance in order to work through the issues. So it's it's a beautiful way that I think the Bhagavad Gita and family constellations work very well together. I think so too. They they complement each other so well. And I think ultimately the work is to heal ourselves, to acknowledge and recognize what it is that's in the background that's causing us to have conflicts, hardships in our lives, and then find ways to heal so that we can live our lives fully. And a big part I know of the Bhagavad Gita and also family constellations is contribution. What are your special gifts? What can you bring forward to not only make a difference for others, but also make a difference for generations to come? I love that. That's exactly right. It's all about moving forward, healing and shava, service, um, helping others, paying it forward. And family constellations, like you said, frees you from your trauma and your baggage in order to be the best version of yourself and move forward in a more positive way. Yes, Sharmila. And the founder of this work, his name is Bert Hellinger. He has a wonderful quote. He says, you are the dream of all your ancestors. So when we move forward in life and we share our gifts that we received from our ancestors, from our parents, and our own unique gifts, they're there cheering us on. Yes, it's like a piece of them moved forward through us. So it's wonderful and just a way to, yeah, continue the family line. I have a few questions for you today. The framework of the Bhagavad Gita is Arjun, who is the main character of the Mahabharata, doesn't want to take on his family, right? His family is committing all sorts of crimes, and he, as an upholder of peace and justice and righteousness, has to fight them, and he doesn't want to. And so he has a mental breakdown, he has a panic attack, and Krishna then talks him out of his depression and anxiety in order to have the insight and the courage to take on his family in the best possible way. Family conflicts are hard. Mm-hmm. So I have a few questions for you, Karen. Why are family relationships so difficult? What are the causes of conflict in a family? And if I'm having an issue with a senior member of my family, I feel that's the toughest, right? Because so many times we say, oh, we can't say anything. How does family constellations tell us what's the best way to approach a family conflict? Yes, great question. There is an order in the family system. And when this order is in place, there's harmony. The love, the life force can flow in harmonious ways. But when there is disorder, that doesn't happen. That's when there's conflicts. That's when there's entanglements. So this work is all about reclaiming your foundation, going back to the place where you belong, where you're not taking on feelings, traumas, emotions of your parents, of your ancestors. And when you are in your place, 
that is the fertile ground that propels you forward into the world. We look at order in this work, and the most common disorder is when a child steps out of his or her place. The place of a child is to stand in front of the parents as the small one, senses that there's a need, senses that mom maybe has grief that's not expressed, or dad has anger, or something is unresolved in them. And then a child will sense this and step out of her place and stand behind a parent as a parent to a parent in an attempt to ease the suffering of the parent, but it never works. Nobody, no child has the capacity to do that and and a child as an adult too. So what we look at is where is this person in the family system? Where is this person standing? We also look at belonging because this work teaches us that belonging for all of us is like an instinct. It is a driving force that influences all of our actions. It's about survival. When we're very young, we learn how to be in order to fit in and belong to our family system. Maybe in a family system, you knew you had to be smart and that's how you were loved and accepted. Maybe you had to be the caretaker Maybe you were the scapegoat. There's all different ways of belonging, but we all have these ways. And how we belong in our family system is how we also belong in the world. So what we look at, they're called the principles of love in this work. And that's what we look at. When someone's sharing about a conflict, we would ask about the relationships with other family members, with the parents, and then see perhaps this person is carrying something that doesn't belong to her. Mm-hmm. And if she can give that back, and there are different ways that we do that through sentences and through visualization, meditation, and return to her place as a child, that conflict might not even exist for her anymore. Because we say, It's a state change. It's a stance where you are, your position. So it's all about order. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And let's talk about an example that comes to mind that oftentimes, and I've I've experienced this and seen this throughout a lot of families, that a child feels in some way responsible for looking after the parent. I know I made this mistake when my kids were young, kind of telling them stuff that was going on in my life and leaning on them to be my emotional support. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when people lean on their children and children take on that position of being, like you said, the adult in the relationship, there's a lot of resentment that goes with that. Mm -hmm. The child feels burdened that I have to do something here that's not my job because it's a burden, right? Look, we're all vulnerable, but I think to lean on our children when it's really not their place to give us a certain level of support, obviously this changes as the kids grow older, hopefully we can lean on them more. But certainly, I think when children are younger, and I made this mistake, I know through this work that you and I did, when you informed me that this is actually what was happening in the system, and that was what was the conflict in the relationship, I changed my behavior and actually changed my relationship with my child because I stopped burdening them and they stopped feeling resentful. And neither of us knew what the problem was. There was just a problem, but we couldn't identify what it was. And I remember when you and I did this work, I called you up a week later and I was like, this is fantastic. Um, So would you say that's what you're talking about, this principle here? Exactly. That is exactly what it is, Sharmila. You articulated it so well. And what's important for parents to know, when we look to our children for the support, we are projecting onto them what is unhealed within us. Look, all of us Mm -hmm. did not have all of our needs met, no matter what. It's just the way it is. That's our experience as human beings. So whatever we didn't get from our parents We often look to our children to give us that. So it's really important to recognize what it is that 
we didn't receive to acknowledge that and not to be resentful. We need to do our inner work to release any emotions that may be there around that. Nothing wrong with having those emotions, but if we don't do our inner work, they'll stay with us and we'll keep looking to our children or to other people in the world to take care of us. So when we do our own inner work and heal those wounds from the past and then look for what we need in the world, maybe maybe we needed someone to really listen to us and our parents weren't able to do that. So we find a friend, an adult in our lives who can do that for us and nourish that part in us that needs to be heard. And then we don't lean on our children for that support. And then they're free because like you said, it can cause anger, rage in children. On one hand, they feel like they're obligated. I need to do this. I need to take care of mom. And then they're stuck. They can't move forward in life. So it's really important for parents and all of us, when we heal what's unresolved in our family system, we have that ability to say, yes, I got what I got. I didn't get what I didn't get. And I will do this healing work and have my needs met in the world. Yeah. It's it's interesting because, you know, we've talked a lot about dharma in this podcast, duty, and in the Gita chapter 3 verse 35, Lord Krishna clearly says that you have to do your own duty, stick to your own lane, and the duty of another is fraught with fear, which means that even in a family, we have our place, we have our role, and to try and step over into somebody else's role, the duty of another, he says in the Gita, is fraught with fear. Because nothing good comes from stepping on somebody else's toes. Nothing good comes from even encouraging somebody else to take on a burden that's yours. And we do it all the time. But I think sticking to our duty and really thinking, okay, wait, is this my role? Is this my duty to burden my child with this or my parent with this? Or is this, hey, I need a friend? Or I need some other form of healing rather than leaning on family members who it's not their place to give us this support, that causes a lot of resentment and a lot of friction. I think it's unmet expectations, right? It is unmet expectations. And just that wound of the child, we we do need support from our parents, of course, when we're growing up, when we're very young, and we know this, that's why we will do anything for our parents, whatever they need. It's about our survival. But then when we get older, this still lives in us and influences our lives and shapes our destiny. We know we'll survive. We're adults, but we don't feel that yet until we recognize what it is that we're carrying from the past, what it is that we're entangled with. And that's what this work and texts like the Bhagavad Gita show us. Really, I think both of them and so many more healing modalities invite us to become responsible, to become aware and responsible for our actions. And if you break down the word, it's having the ability to respond. And we can only do that when we become aware of what it is that we're carrying, what it is that we're doing. When it's blind, we don't have access to being any other way. So these practices shed light on what's unconscious so that we can be responsible and choose another way. That's so interesting. You know, when you said we have to know, we have to understand what our needs in us are, what baggage we're carrying. And chapter 13, there's a whole chapter, one entire chapter out of 18 chapters in the Gita is called The Field and the Knower of the Field. And basically what it says is that our bodies and our minds are our field and we are the farmer. So we really need to know what we're dealing with here. What is my body capable of? What is my mind capable of? What are my unresolved issues? What are my strengths, my weaknesses? What baggage am I carrying? And then am I a good farmer? Am I sowing the right seeds? Am I watering? Am I fertilizing my field correctly? What do I need to do to yield the greatest crops? How do I move forward in the most fruitful way to resolve my issues and become a better person? And that responsibility in the Gita, Lord Krishna says, it's only up to us. It's not up to anyone else to identify your issues. That's up to you. You have to really be self-aware and do the work. 
I love that. It's so poignant. And in family constellations too, that is what it's all about. It's this recognition of what it is that we're carrying, what we've taken on and how it's influencing our lives. And then coming to a point where we say, this is not serving us. It's not allowing us to fully express ourselves in the world. I love that metaphor about the field and we can plant seeds of love and peace and joy and those can bloom in the world or other kinds of seeds can be planted. So the awareness is definitely key. And like you said, we can't depend on anyone else to show us how to do that. It is our responsibility. Of course, we have teachers and guides and the Bhagavad Gita and yoga, meditation, family constellations. And then we have these practices to ultimately access that part of ourselves that says, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take care of my field so that I can live the best life possible and be the best version of myself. And there's nothing more nourishing and rewarding than that. Agreed. As you know, this season, season two of Gita Gil is about karma. And karma means action and especially our past actions that create our destiny. And what does Family Constellation say about that? In this work, we know that we inherit these behaviors, emotions, traumas, and also no matter how much work we do, whether it's through yoga, the Bhagavad Gita, meditation, family constellations, or any other modality, we will never be able to figure it all out because life is a mystery. And in this work, we say we bow to the mystery. So sometimes we see a family member or a friend suffering and we so want to help and support them. And of course, it's great to offer these teachings or offer anything that we think might make a difference for them, but it just might not be their karma or their fate to choose that path. So what we say in this work is, I bow to the mystery. And when we truly love somebody, we love their fate. Even if it's a difficult fate, we have respect and we understand that there are forces at work that are way beyond our understanding. So respect for the person and also respecting the mystery of it all is a big part of this work as well. What the Gita, Lord Krishna says in chapter four, verse 17, he says, mysterious are the ways of karma. I think a big problem in families is when we judge other people, even if it has nothing to do with us and doesn't affect us. You know, this one did that, that one did this. And and we judge people all the time on their actions. And the truth is, we don't know what they've gone through. We don't know everything about their thought process and why they're thinking the way they're thinking or acting the way that they're acting. But we think because we're family, we know. And therefore, we have a right to judge them. But Krishna says that everybody's karma, everybody's path, everyone's journey is so different that you can't judge them because you really don't know. And I I love this saying in Family Constellations, you bow to the mystery. And when we worked together a few years ago, Karen, this was very helpful to me to approach other family members rather than approaching them from a position of, I know better than you. You have done something wrong. I'm going to finger wag at you. And I know that you've done something wrong. Instead, really trying to have that attitude of humility that, okay, Your actions don't look great on paper, but I really don't know. For me, that I think resolved a lot of conflict in my family and allowed me the space to step back and not get so mired in the judgment and the negativity. Yes. When we can be humble and recognize that we don't know, that's when there's so many more possibilities available to us, maybe possibilities for a different kind of relationship with family members or friends or whomever we want to improve the relationships with. But when we move out of our place as children, and like you said, we wag our finger and we think we know better, we are making ourselves bigger than others. And 
people who came before us, there's hierarchy or natural order in this work as well. Our parents, our ancestors who came before us, they have more weight. And what that means is they arrived on this planet before we did. So even if we know way more about technology or we're, we're more talented in a certain area, it doesn't matter. There's still many things that they know that we don't know because of the fact that they arrived on this planet before we did. And remembering that helps us to stay humble and to have respect for people who have come before us. I think this is a good yeah. example. I adore my mother and I know my mother adores me. And we are so similar in so many respects, but so incredibly different in so many respects. And as close as we are, some aspects of our relationship are very complicated. I feel that when she doesn't understand a particular aspect of me, that bothers her. Mm -hmm. And I love her, but sometimes when we argue, we really go at it mm -hmm. because there's this level where we don't understand each other. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of my part was that I thought I knew everything about her because we are so close. So I always assumed, where's this coming from? Like when she would tell me something I didn't agree with, or maybe it was a little harsh, I'd say, where's this coming from? And I assumed that I knew everything about her. But Karen, when you and I talked about this, you taught me to bow to the mystery rather than leading with sort of finger wagging and I know better, just understand that I'm smaller than her, even though she's tinier than me. <laughs> I'm actually on this planet smaller than her. And sometimes when I don't understand, that was really helpful. And I think it's really helped our relationship because I can let things go a lot more. And I think she's not so nervous around me. Somehow, I don't know, we don't trigger each other so much. Yeah. And that's because you changed your place too. And you, you changed your view. You see her differently now because you made yourself big and we all do this. We are children. And just like you said, we are the small ones before our parents, but all of us at times feel we know something more than our parents or our parents didn't give us what we needed. And it, puts us in this place of, in the work, we call it arrogance, this place where we are bigger than, than we really are. And parents feel that and they don't feel respected when we're looking at them like that. They feel judged. So when we return to our place as the small one and we recognize that we don't know everything about them. So it's very relaxing for us as children to bow to that mystery and say, there are things I don't know about you. And then there's a lightness, there's a relaxation that comes with that too. I'll tell you, because my mother and I know each other so well, there was a resentment that why didn't she give me this emotional support that I may have needed. Physically, my parents were able to give me as much as they could, and I'm very, very thankful for that. But emotionally, they didn't. But I think it's impossible to put that pressure on anyone, even our parents, to give us emotionally everything, because only we are in our own heads, right? So when I had this change of mindset that I don't know everything, and that's okay, the reverse was also true, that they don't know everything about me, and yes. that's okay. Yes, wonderful realization. It's a very profound shift that can happen through this work. And that clearly happened for you. That's a great way, honestly, not only with elders, but to approach anyone in life with the respect that we don't know their journey and we don't know what they've been through and they don't know what we've been through and that's okay. I think that's a much more productive attitude to have towards other people. And I think coming from a place of ego, Mm -hmm. that I know better than you and I am better than you because I know better than you. That will kill any relationship. It will just destroy it. Absolutely. It just closes our hearts where we're no longer open to hear about someone else's experience because we're just stuck in our own way of seeing it and thinking that we know better or we know what would work for this person when we don't. 
We don't know their experiences, what they're carrying. So it's just really important to have compassion. I think compassion is a big one and having awareness that the other person has their own experiences, their own karma helps us have compassion and lead with respect and love. And respect and love is sattva rather than resentment and anger, which is rajas and tamas. And that influences the karma we create, which results from the attitude we have and the behaviors we then exhibit based on our mindset and where we're leading from. Yes, and, and, and the Bhagavad Gita teaches us that as well as family constellations. But I want to ask you, Karen, um, this is an important question. Oftentimes, most often actually, it's really hard to act from a place of compassion when we're triggered. How do we act compassionately and lead from a place of love and respect when we're angry, frustrated, and resentful? In order to be able to do that, we must acknowledge and take care of whatever is there too. We as human beings, we all feel different emotions, anger, jealousy, rage, whatever it is. So that's why becoming the witness or the observer allows us to see those emotions in us and give them space, release them, share them in a healthy way so that we can relate with people with love and compassion instead of anger and resentment. How do we become a witness? What does that mean? Yeah. So different practices can cultivate that ability to be a witness. If you can imagine that you are an outsider, sometimes we call it the bird's eye view, like you're looking in at yourself and your life from a bird's eye view or from a distance, like you're looking at your life through the neutral eye of a camera mm -hmm. and you notice, wow, I see jealousy is arising in me, or I see anger is arising in me. And when you can observe that in yourself, you have the freedom to choose whether or not to react to it, respond to it in that moment, or to deal with it in another way, maybe through different practices, getting it out. But it's an ability that's cultivated through discipline and meditation is a wonderful way to cultivate that ability. We all have different feelings. We can all get triggered. And it's a matter of being able to catch ourselves before we react to that trigger. There's a pause. When we become the witness, we become spacious. So something happens. That's the stimulus. And then before we just react and go into our default way of being, we can pause and say, whoa, I just got really angry. Does it serve my best interest right now to scream at this person who cut me off on the road? Or is it best that I be with this anger for a moment, take a deep breath, and just keep in my lane and moving forward. So it gives us that ability to catch ourselves and not be on automatic or autopilot. Does that make sense, Charmila? It does. In fact, in the Gita, Lord Krishna says in chapter 2, verse 67, the mind is without doubt unsteady and difficult to control. And our senses, what we see, smell, touch, hear, taste, they carry our mind away in an instant, like a small boat being carried away by the raging winds of a storm. If somebody says the wrong thing, or we see something, or we hear something that upsets us, just in an instant, we can lose our minds. So I think what you're talking about is that ability to say, wait a second, I'm getting triggered here. Let me take a pause. Let me be in control rather than what I'm seeing being control of me. Exactly, right. And it's also being spacious, allowing whatever is there to be there. So being the witness, when we practice meditation, it's not about trying to control our thoughts or our emotions. In Family Constellations too, the work is all about inclusion, including whatever is there, noticing it, and then choosing if it needs to be addressed and dealt with or not. So yes, the transformation, the empowerment is in the pause. And all of this work and these philosophies help us to recognize what's there for us 
and then be able to pause and respond rather than react and be in our default way of being. And that pause and that acting differently creates better karma for ourselves. That's the difference between behaving sattvically with wisdom and clarity or behaving rajsically with agitation, frustration, anger, or tamsically with darkness and um, hate because we're acting consciously and that creates such a different destiny for us. It absolutely does. These practices really invite us to come out of the victim role where we think that we are upset or we're angry or we're mad because of what didn't happen to us or what did happen to us, our circumstances. But when we take the time to pause and notice what's there and take responsibility for what's there, then we're empowered and we're not victims. No matter what is happening within us or around us, we have the ability to choose our attitude in any given set of circumstances. And that's an incredible thing, the ability for us to choose. Having that choice is a win, rather than blindly following our compulsive reactive behavior. Exactly. And it reminds me of this interview that I heard many years ago. I don't even know who said it, but a man was speaking on the radio and he said, ultimately, what these practices do is help us to be thermostats rather than thermometers. If you think about a thermometer, what determines the temperature is the weather outside, right? If it's a cold, rainy day, the temperature is going to be really low. I don't know, maybe 40, 30 degrees. If it's really hot, warm, sunny, it can go all the way up to 80 or 90. Well, just like our lives, if we're thermometers, if we're experiencing challenges, hardships, it would go way down, right? Maybe even to zero degrees at some times. And if life is good, things are going our way, it could go way up to 90 degrees. But ultimately, that's not going to give us the freedom that we truly want. So we train ourselves to become thermostats, where we set the temperature on the inside, no matter what's going on within us or around us, we can keep it there at whatever's comfortable, 62, 70. I love that. Be the thermostat, not the thermometer. And, yeah. and Krishna says in chapter six, verse 19, you don't want to be like a flame that flickers with the wind. You don't want to be that. You want to be steady. We want to have the strength and the freedom and the empowerment to decide what's the best way for me to handle this rather than everything else influencing our behavior. And then before we know it, you know, we wake up the next morning and we think, what just happened yesterday? Yeah, it's remaining centered no matter what's going on in life. And of course, it's a practice and we all lose our center and that's part of it. And I think it's really important to look at ourselves with compassion too and loving eyes because we're not always going to be able to do that. And that is okay. It's okay. It's a practice. It's not a perfect. And when we catch ourselves, we say, oh, I see that I wasn't able to do it. I was off. And then we acknowledge whatever we need to acknowledge if, if there was an incident with someone else. And then we can return to our center and perhaps, hopefully, choose something else when it happens again. Krishna says in the Gita, in chapter 6, verse 25 and 35, progress comes little by little with practice and dispassion. I think dispassion is the key without frustration, without getting angry with ourselves because that causes even more negativity. We just have to try our best and keep practicing. If at first you don't succeed, try, try again. What you just said about dispassion reminds me of the witness because that's the part of ourselves that can see what's going on, whatever we're feeling and remain unaffected by it. And that gives us access to choice. Yeah, it's interesting. In um, chapter 13, verse 22, Lord Krishna uses this exact same word, witness. He says this witness, this guide, this consciousness, this higher awareness is actually our soul and what we truly are. And throughout the Gita, Lord Krishna says that this soul, who we truly are, this witness, we shouldn't let this soul 
be destroyed by our lower self, our compulsive, reactive self that goes down this rabbit hole of being triggered into unconscious action. In chapter 13, verse 28, he says it. In chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, he says, don't self-destruct by letting your lower compulsions and your triggered behavior influence you to the point where you behave with such negativity that you create bad karma for yourself and you go down the path of destruction. And Krishna also says, how do we do this? How do we stop going down this um, path of self-destruction? He says over and over and throughout the Gita, especially in chapter 6, verse 35 and 36, he says meditation. Meditation gives us the mental strength and that ability to pause, as you said, Karen, that's a great word, to pause, to catch ourselves in the beginning and stop and take a moment and recenter ourselves and then act with clarity and wisdom and sattva, sattvically. Um, so the last thing I want to talk about is back to the question that I asked earlier, what is the best way to approach a senior family member who is behaving badly about their actions, because that's a really tough one for everyone. For sure. So what's really important is that we are in tune with our own needs. And sometimes when that's happening, it's not our job to try to help or fix something that's going on with a senior member of the family. And if that's having a negative effect on us, we can choose to put up a boundary and do it with love, do it with respect. There's a saying in this work, Family Constellations, distance preserves the love. Maybe you've tried over and over again to resolve this issue and it's just not working out. And then you get caught in a dynamic. So you can withdraw from that dynamic with love and respect and that respect for the person and also the person's fate. So I think that it's really important to know what you need and to keep checking in with your own boundaries and then make choices according to that. So when you say having respect for the person's fate, you mean for their karma and their journey and have respect that you don't know. Yeah, definitely having respect for their karma, their journey, whatever it is that they're carrying, and also recognizing that it's not your responsibility to take care of them. Because sometimes we get stuck. That's how we stay hooked and caught because we think I can't leave, even though this is terrible and it's having such a negative effect on my life. I can't leave because this person is suffering. And then we're suffering right there with them. So it, it takes something and it's not always easy to disentangle ourselves from those dynamics, but it's important to do it and to just look at the person in our mind's eye and say, there are things I don't understand about you. You have karma, you have entanglements that you're carrying, and I am withdrawing from this fear and, and taking care of my own needs and withdrawing with love. And what does withdrawing with love look like? So it could be, you gave the example, let, let, let's say a parent, right? You, you said a senior member of the family. So let's say there's a parent and someone, and this parent is very depressed, is very depressed and is abusive because of this depression. And the child as an adult, of course, wants to help, is drawn to help. I want to help. Mom, please come see this person. Come try this therapy. It really helped me. But mom just says no. Well, we have to have respect that there are things, forces that we're not aware of that are influencing her. And we can offer from our place as a child certain healing modalities, but if she's not open to them or it's just not in her path, in order to unhook ourselves, we say, and we can say this to ourselves, I love you, mom, and I have respect for you, and this doesn't work for me. This doesn't work for me, so I am going to leave you now 
disengage from this dynamic from me trying to help you and you not wanting my help and love you exactly as you are. How it's going to look is something to be discovered as you take that step. We say you take a step and the insights come. You can't see 10 steps ahead. You have to take the first step and then you receive more information and you take that first step because you're valuing yourself and your own boundaries. And it doesn't mean that you're disconnecting. You'll always be connected. You're just disengaging from that dynamic that can be detrimental. Yeah, that's very helpful because a lot of times when we disengage, we feel guilt. Yeah. But understanding that there's nothing else we can do, but this is how it has to be. It doesn't mean that we're not there and we don't love them. It just means this toxic dynamic, we're not going to feed into it anymore. We look at guilt in another way in this work. There's different kinds of guilt and family constellations. And one is an innocent guilt. And that's the guilt that causes us to want to take care of our parents and our ancestors to carry what isn't ours to carry in an attempt to ease the suffering. So that's what keeps us hooked into these dynamics. And we all have that. And then when we make a movement, this work is called movements of the soul. When we make a movement like the one we just described, then we do experience guilt, but it's a different kind of guilt. It's called mature guilt. And it's the guilt that we feel when we're disengaging from that dynamic. And it can be challenging to feel that because we're standing on our own in the face of the possibility of being rejected by our parent. But when we take that step, we become more conscious and then we can choose how to relate. Because when we're in a dynamic, we're not relating. There's no choice. It's just this way of being that isn't serving us. It's interesting because in the Gita, in chapter 3, verse 26, Lord Krishna says, it's not our place to change somebody else. That's not our place. Oftentimes when somebody is so stuck in their own delusion and their own patterns, the best thing we can do is just return to our place, do our duty, and set a good example, and that's it and let it go. For sure. And like you said, we can really only change ourselves. So it's also having trust and faith in something greater than ourselves. And that takes the pressure off of us too. Yeah, that's what Krishna says. Live by the principles of the Gita. Let the attachment to the results go, knowing that you've done your best in the moment. And that takes the pressure off. And also in the Gita, another big thing that I tell my students all the time, Krishna says that on this planet, every undertaking is tainted as smoke is tainted by fire. Nothing's going to be perfect. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And that is okay. Yeah. Excellent. This was great. I've learned a lot through Family Constellations. I hope our listeners learned a lot about behaving sattvically with our families and creating space and acceptance in order to behave the best that we can within ourselves and within our family system. Thank you, Karen, for being here and sharing your knowledge with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Sharmila. I am leaving this podcast with a lot of homework. One of the things that really struck me of all the phrases that Karen used was, transformation is in the pause. And this idea of stopping to think before you react is so critical. It's not easy necessarily in execution, but it's just such a simple thing to sort of think about and how that leads to leading with compassion. Because I think with all of our family members, we would like to be more understanding. We would like to be more compassionate. And this concept of leading with compassion is something that I certainly will strive to do. I want to be that way, but I haven't really thought about it in a really conscious manner. And speaking of conscious and intentionality, I really love that this podcast gave us 
some very specific ways to do that. You talked about meditation being one way. We've talked about this in podcasts before. Practicing meditation will give you the ability when you're in a moment of stress or frustration or anger or disappointment to pause, figure out how you're going to lead with compassion in that moment. But you can only do that by exercising that muscle over and over again by consistently practicing meditation. That's something I took away. Also choosing our attitude. And it's true. We have a choice. Like we can choose how we want to interact with somebody. We can choose to be frustrated. We can choose to be aggravated. We can choose to be angry. And in that same tone, we can choose to be supportive. We can choose to be grateful being once again, intentional about it. And finally, although Karen didn't say this explicitly in the podcast, my interpretation was the lesson that we have repeated in podcasts before, which is do your best leads a rest. This was just one more example of how when you're leading with compassion, you're doing the best that you can do to be an example, to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And then whatever choice family members choose to make is their choice. I mean, I took away a lot in terms of things that I'll try to implement in my life. Thanks for your insights, Shayla. And also thank you to Karen Pasalacqua for being our guest on Gita Girl and sharing family constellations with us. It was really great to be able to merge the two philosophies and learn from them both. Absolutely. And thank you once again to all of our listeners. Please follow us on Geet the Girl podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And also um, check out our website at geetthegirl.com. And if you have any questions or ideas for an upcoming podcast or topics that you would like for us to cover, please, please, please share them with us. Email us at geetthegirl at yahoo.com. We love interacting with all of you. So please keep your questions and comments coming. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you uh, next time. Jesse Krishna. Jesse Krishna. Vasudeva sutam devam kansu januramardhanam devaki paramarandam krishnam vannev jagat guram 